In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. Welcome to the People Catalyst podcast. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the Johari window. This is a tool developed by the psychologist Joseph Luft in Harrington, Ingham. It might be a little tricky to visualize the four different windows. So to help you out, you can either look at the graphic on the People Catalyst podcast for this episode or grab a piece of paper and pen so you can draw out the windows. Even if you don't see the graphic, this is just one you'll probably want to take some notes on. So grab a pen and a piece of paper, and that may be your best bet. Well, unless you're driving. So in that case, just listen along. Okay, without further ado, let's get into how you can gain a competitive advantage in your business. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Mr. Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. <laughs> Good evening, fine sir. How are you? Well, I'm doing uh, very well, and... Uh... I'm just happy that we're recording another podcast because this opens a lot of doors if you look through a window. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Jahari's window, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And most people are looking for love in all the wrong places, but we could actually say looking for competitive advantage in all the wrong places. And we've quoted Peter Drucker many times on this podcast uh, where he said, innovation is easy. Just put people in teams. The problem is nobody knows how, <laughs> except for us. <laughs> us and Joe and... Uh, and Joe and Harry. And Harry. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is hilarious. So we actually did the research on this podcast and Alan uh, found out that Joe and Harry are really a thing for Johari. Yeah. Johari, yeah. And it's a guy named uh, Joe something and another guy named Harrington. And uh, they're all, they're long gone by now, but uh, they made a great contribution. And uh, probably the, uh, what we want to do here is get a really simple way to understand this and then see if we can show you where uh, some opportunities are that you may not realize. Yes, I love it because there's a certain piece of Jahari's window that is obvious. But then there's also pieces that we just dare to go. So we're going to make this the first part of a two-part series, simply because if we jumped all the way into Jahari's window, it would be a little bit, um, it, it's easier to understand if you're going to look at certain pieces or and two pieces, because again, a window, it's four parts, right? We're going to look at two pieces of the window and the next series we're going to look at the other pieces so what why don't you walk yes. us through a yes. little bit of the explanation of jahari's window alan because you're so good you're so much good better than i am at this because i just jump forward i'm like come on it's obvious right as a mover so <laughs> yes and as and as a shaker i know that uh nothing's ever obvious because i've uh played in that realm too much. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Nothing's ever obvious. Of course, with a shaker, that would make total we're sense. Gonna, we're going to do a visual with the verbal here, so it's going to get a little confusing. So uh, I'm going to try as hard as I can to be extremely clear about this, but imagine a window pane. Some people call, call it a quadrant. So there are four areas. The lower left, and this is going to sound pretty funny, is 
what we know that we know and most people play there uh you know i know this and i know that i know it so i've got my whole body of knowledge and i can access it very comfortable and that's who i am and that's where i play most of the time uh and then however if we want to grow or if we get some new areas opened up to us and we want to stretch a little bit we go into the other reasonably comfortable area which is we go from what we know we know to what we know that we don't know yeah so that's but notice in both cases we know about this this is all familiar we're not being surprised about ourselves it's You're sort of like we're operating aware. like Right? Yeah, we know ourselves aware. completely. There's stuff I know, stuff I don't know. I know what it is. Thank you very much. We're done. But we're not done. And so what they do, and, and by the way, those are the two southern quadrants, the southwest on the left and the southeast on the right. Southwest and left is what we know we know. And then southeast and on the right of the bottom is what we no, we don't know. So that's the comfort area. And that's really what we're going to be, be talking about. But there are a couple other parts that you ought to know about. And that's where competitive advantage can lie. Because if we just deal in what we know we know, and what we know that we don't know, everybody's thinking is going to be pretty much the same. And they're all going to be in the same box. And, you know, if you ever wonder why it is you develop something and somebody else already has already done it at the same time, we're all focused on the same stuff. So the opportunity, according, according to Joe and, and Mr. Harrington, <laughs> are to move up into the upper two quadrants. So the northeast, the upper right is where, where we usually go is what we don't know that we don't know. That's mm -hmm. mysterious area. It's like, oh my God, I never even realized that that was out there. And so maybe somebody will come with a new technology, artificial intelligence or whatever. And so now you're thinking, oh, I need to go here. I need to learn this to try to get competitive advantage. And maybe if I don't learn it, I'm left behind. So that's where we go. It's out of our comfort zone and it's all new and, and that's great but it's still not the real opportunity area because everybody's going to be learning this new thing. And here's a big key. If you've got a lot of knowledge rolling around inside, the place for the big breakthroughs can often be what we don't know that we already know. Yes. Which is the top left, right? Top so left. The Western... It's almost humor. You yes. know, it's like, that's absurd. What do you mean? We don't know that we already know this. Well, let's just say it another way. I forgot I knew it, or I never thought about it in this context before. What happens is that move up from the southeast on the right side to the northeast on the right side top, and what we don't, what we don't know that we don't know gets us into a new context that introduces a new context. And what can often happen is out of that context, you can realize, wait a minute, I already know a lot about this. Because once we do, you know, put this and this and this into place, well, then it's just a matter on implementation of doing things I already know, or I've worked in an area close to that, or mm -hmm. I not have knowledge of principles that I'm applying to this. Yes, because this when we don't know something that we don't know, it's challenging, 
right? Yes. In the context yeah. or in the space Scary. of the Jahari's windows, what we don't know that we know is actually easy. It typically, there's your peak work. And so in part two of this series, we're going to get into the top half of Jahari's window. And for this podcast, we're going to talk about, because it's really useful to have all four, right? Working Absolutely. for Absolutely. Because the, so, what we don't know that we don't know opens up the new context and once you got that new context it's a gateway you open up the next door and it's what we don't know that we know it's like oh i'm a lot smarter than i thought yeah i'm a lot more competent than i thought you know that's a big aha moment for people it's like wait a minute i'm of great value here i got a lot to offer yes so that's inspiring that's energizing and that's what leads to real innovation. Oh, that's super cool, by the way, because really that is at the crux of the Hoodoo method, because it doesn't matter what you're already doing, but if you don't know the method actually exists and you apply it to what you're already doing, right? That's really lives in what we don't know we know, because yep. you know it really well. Let's just put gasoline in a match on it. Of course, we're jumping into part two of the series. <laughs> Yeah. that's where we want to live, which is super cool. So we will get into that. But what you uh, tapped on there, Alan, and what we often call fool's gold innovation, right? So the CEO declares, I think uh, in the last webinar we did, it was like almost 80% of CEOs say that innovation is on the top of their list for 2020. Yeah. Right? Uh, so you can declare that innovation is on the top of your list, but the challenge is, is that, you know, there's two different ways that innovation typically runs is number one, kill an idea because it wasn't the CEO's idea. And again, look at that from a mover, shaker, prover, maker aspect, right? You got a shaker CEO. If they're, it's not their idea, that's 35% of the population. They're going to kill it. Prover, there's too much wrong with it. 25% of the population, they're going to kill it, right? And a maker's probably not going to be a CEO, but the 15% of the population that says yes to an idea is a mover. So first of all, either you're going to kill the idea or you're going to pick your idea or potentially run with a bad idea if you don't have a process by which you're deciding what you're going to do, ideation, or how you're going to do it implementation. So either way, if you don't have a process, you're going to be out of balance. And how do you get 100% buy-in from the team? Because they're the people on the ground, they're the boots on the ground getting it done. Yep, absolutely. So uh, it, it, it's a really kind of a fail this way or fail that way uh, situation. And uh, going back to Johari's window, that's all in the realm of what we know we know and what we know that we don't know. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know why it always comes out like this. We either kill a good idea or we run with a bad idea and we get burned that way. And, uh, but that's, that's what comes from living in those two comfortable windows, what we know we know and what we know that we don't know. Yes, definitely. And I think you've got a really interesting story. Remember in Singapore? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we were dealing with that a long time ago. Uh, in Singapore and several of us got together and sort of started a, a movement and we weren't sure about what what to call it and uh, so we just did a simple opposite instead of calling it 
innovation. We called it autovation. There's a different <laughs> approach to innovation. But the, and it's like, why would you call it that? Well, the line underneath it explains it. Autovation, it's not innovation till it gets out the door. Mm-hmm. And now we should even say uh, one more thing, and it's not innovation till it gets out the door, but it shouldn't get out the door until as many of the trade-offs or problems with a bad idea have been solved. and, and uh, well, the best way to solve that is to use the hoodoo method on it. Generally, what happens is it can get out the door and be a bad idea, and you'll get a lot of pushback, and you'll get overwhelmed, and you'll just cancel the whole thing. So, but it's not innovation. It's not innovation until it gets out the door. And with the proviso, get it out the door when it's been thought through, where it's still a good idea. In fact, even improved by the team. Yes. And using the process so that you get that 100% buy-in on top of it, right? So one piece is, what are we going to do? So the ideation aspect of saying, this is how we're going to have this item discussion, whatever it is that you're attacking, this is what the group identifies uh, with and says, yes, this is great. And remember, in ideation, we stop ideation when the prover says, I can live, I can with, that. live with that. <laughs> exactly. And then you move to implementation, step two of the process, which is actually implementing the idea. And remember, it flows back and forth. You have to, they're the same players, but you have to flow this back and forth and back and forth. And when you're focusing on what we know we know and what we know we don't know, this is actually an easier process, right? So, yep. but at the same time, having a process by which you decide what to do and then decide how you're doing it is critical. So when you think of Johari's window, right? And you're identifying what we know we know in dealing with that and what we know we don't know, right? And yep. complementing those two things, make sure you're breaking it down into two separate uh, processes. Remember, 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. Not people failure. failure. Yeah. So Edward Stemming, guys, the father of manufacturing. This guy is amazing, by the way. If you have not done research on him, I've pretty much read every book now. Alan, it's incredible what this guy did during his time. And he was basically trying to figure out, like, how can we make effective change in modern day manufacturing, right? Because remember back in the day, manufacturing was pretty, pretty crazy when they first started out, right? Yep. And then he identified, okay, like all these different aspects in these, because people want to succeed by definition, but how do we create a process by which we use these aspects to, you know, move everybody forward? So ideation, implementation, and using the hoodoo method between the two, it, it completely balances the what we know we know and what we know we don't know. That's right. And so you wind up finding a new space between killing the idea and running with a bad idea. Because both of these are just simply twin sides of a bad coin. Mm, that's good. That's yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're both sides of the same coin. It's a very thin coin, isn't it? 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think one of the examples that, you know, we could kind of use, and I think you brought this up uh, when we were having a conversation earlier is, or actually you said it earlier in the podcast about, you know, take every idea, fuse it together if they don't fit that. And that's, what's funny. Oh yeah. It, it was Arthur Kessler wrote a book and the the early 60s called the act of creation. And what he said was that uh, we really don't create when we're being creative. Everything is already created. We are, and you can apply this to anything and you'll get a new truth out of things you, you know, you think, oh, that's, you know, that's not true. Well, check it out and think that way and look at something that's been created. And he says, we don't create, we combine. Everything's already created. So we are making new combinations of things. Now, many of the ideas that you uh, get these days are simply things that have been put together that have been combined before. And so that doesn't really produce much of anything. But if you get two things together, that elements together that haven't been together before, you get two possible outcomes. They either fit together and they, became, they become a great new idea and innovation, or they don't fit together and that energy has to dissipate somehow so people laugh. And that's why in meetings, usually, especially the shakers, will come up with preposterous, absurd ideas at first because they're funny. And they're funny because they just uh, so obviously don't work, so obviously don't, uh, <laughs> don't fit. So you try, sort of get your yayas out, and then either somebody says, hey, wait a minute, though, if we just did a twist on that, that might be a good idea. Or they'll just laugh and let it go, and it sort of diffuses the the uh, uh, jitters in the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That's so true, especially when we do the trainings. It's always the shakers that come up with this craziest ideas when we do the Titanic. That's uh, right. Game, right? They just kind of like what? But it's awesome because it, you know, you bring it back a little bit, or it. it, it a new idea actually, and this is why we say we just have to keep everybody in their own lane because a new idea actually sparks other ideas. That's right. You, you know, it gets you in the mood. It gets you in the mood. It gets you in the right realm of thinking. I think probably one of the great examples of, of the two elements not fitting together. And this is a story that Steve Martin would tell. He was having, dinner with his agent and it was at a time when they still had smoking sections and the airplanes and and you could smoke in restaurants and a guy leans over from a table next to them and says uh, excuse me you guys mind if i smoke and his agent shoots back no mind if i fart And Steve Martin, of course, understanding this about comedy, that it's just elements and putting one element into a context of another. So he put the idea of farting into the context of smoking. So he said, uh, he said, yeah, you know, I do that all the, uh, all the time. In fact, they've got a special section for me on airplanes. And of course, he was talking about farting in the context of smoking. And he said, uh, uh, you know, I like to light one up after sex. Again, farting <laughs> in text of oh, my smoking. gosh. Okay, that's a new story. He, that's pretty hilarious. Then he said, you know, I tried to quit, but I started to gain weight. <laughs> so, and like yeah. most comedians, he stopped at three, because that's one of the, the laws of 
of comedy. But here are two elements, obviously, that are absurd. They don't fit together. And yet combining elements into an yet you absurd understand, combination. Yeah, the absurd piece in the context of applying it to something else. Yeah. And, and what that does is it puts you in a different place in your thinking. And oftentimes you can say, hey, wait a minute. You know, and that's what happens when somebody does something completely absurd. They say, hey, wait a minute. You know, maybe that's a good idea. Uh, in Australia, they had people... Uh, uh, they, they had people talking on the phone too long and they wanted to get them off the phone, especially on pay phones. So what they did was they made the receiver heavier. They got the phone receiver to weigh about 30, 40 pounds. So nobody could stand to hold it up to their ear for very long and it shortened the phone call. So, I mean, here, there's an idea based on an absurd idea, but you can take an absurdity, do a little twist on it, and uh, ka-ching. So true. Well, coming from the one-book bookstore, man, that <laughs> is not surprising. And what's so cool is that if you learn the hoodoo method, right, the chances are your competitors are not going to. And, you know, and that's really critical to understand both, you know, with the Johari window in that context of the hoodoo, what we know that we know and what we know we don't know. And then applying that process to, to figure out what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? But the ideation is really where you're kind of pressing on here, I think, Alan, which yeah. is, you know, how do we take something in ideation, right? And then create that competitive advantage because if you can combine those two and then, of course, in the next podcast, overlay right, the other two aspects of Jahari Window, then you're basically walking away with so much more than, you know, what your competitor has in their backpack. Yeah, and especially think about this, uh, everybody, is that <clears throat> it, it, sometimes you'll get competitive advantage, and, and you know, uh, Renee Maborn and uh, Chan Kim of de, uh, in uh, Blue Ocean Strategy have defined this as uncontested market space. Well, how are you going to get uncontested market space? Go where men have men feared have to go, go. Uh, gone before gone before uh, uh, so uh, so where is Wait, that, what was that? The Wait, that was star trek i think it was star trek yeah star trek yeah and uh, once you get in that you're 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 in there not a lot of people in there so your thinking is going to go a lot of way because you're seeing different things you're thinking different things and so if you can live in those upper quadrants which we'll talk about next time uh, then then you've got some opportunities now Right now, we're stuck in, uh, you know, what we, what we know we know and what we know we don't know. And still, there's some things you can do there. One is just now, I mean, you're listening to this podcast, learn the hoodoo method, and you're going to get some competitive advantage there because it's early and not that many people are doing it. And yes. so you can solve and that problem of kill the idea or run with a bad idea. You don't have to accept either of those. Yes, I love it. And then understanding who is on your team. I cannot tell you how many times I get on the phone with individuals or have meetings and I'm a team builder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, yeah, we can all sing Kumbaya on, you know, uh, around the fireplace or, you know, have the potluck on Friday. But at the end of the day, the object of the exercise in business is to get something done. If you do not know who is on your team, it will always be challenging. 
<laughs> it's just a fact, mm -hmm. right? Like if you don't understand if that person is a shaker or if that person is a prover or, you know, applying themselves, you know, it's kind of crazy. We just validated um, the assessment recently and I have met over a thousand people in the last, I don't know, month and a half. Is that, that's about what we've maybe two months and I can email them and tell them who they are and they think it's like magic. <laughs> it's hilarious based off of their core nature of work. It's like, no, it's just your core nature of work. And when the object of the exercise becomes not getting along, but getting something done, it's very interesting to see people's response, right? And even based off their core nature of work. And by the way, I don't think we've had one maker actually finish the um, assessment. Wow. Right? Why? Because it hurts them to do something new. They've got real work to do yeah, back at your right. desks, right? We actually had to go through. So almost everybody in my network, I guarantee you, is a mover or a shaker or a combination of the two. All right. And then it's funny because Kevin, almost everybody in his network was a prover. Like we we had to get like a hundred more just to make sure that the bell curve was accurate. He sent this out to individuals and he had tons of provers. Well, imagine that, that a prover that's a pilot likes, you know, and is, you know, connected with other provers, right? And the fact that we can't get a maker to take it to save our lives. Like, think about that just for a second. So mm -hmm. understanding who is on your team is absolutely critical to be to being able to figure out what you're going to do and then how you're going to do it. Even when it comes to, you know, doing the thousand person validation study that we're doing. Yep. And you know, I, th I think one of the things you're coming up with here too, is that, that there, there's a, there's a point along the, the road where this big pit opens up and you fall into it. And that, that point along the road is after you have your ideas okay and so uh, you have people picking the wrong ideas you have people uh fighting for a crazy idea you have all kinds of things going on that's that's where all the knowing goes out the window people don't know what to do so they cope and i'll give you an example of this and there's a lot of delusion that goes on too somebody once said denial is not just a river in egypt uh, <laughs> i've heard that before yes uh and I'll give you an example. I, I went to a brainstorming session once and it was all morning long. And it was one of these big places, you know, with all the flip charts and the, you know, toys to get your brain going. And the whole, obviously the whole uh, objective of brainstorming is to generate ideas. A lot of them. And you hope that some of them are good and you hope that you can pick the good ones and go with them. And you hope that you can get those that you picked implemented. So I'll give you an example of how it can all blow up. I loved some of these ideas. This happened to be for a, a company that made cheese and they wanted to uh, <clears throat> become a dominant force, really disrupt the market, be the innovator and uh, really have something where they're going to really, you know, exert their power and make the market over. So we had all these great ideas. And I said, I'm coming back this afternoon, if it's okay with you. I want to look at, see which ideas you're going with. There's so many great ideas here. I'm really excited about what you're doing. And so I came back about three o'clock in the afternoon. Now I had left there, there were about 170 ideas 
pinned to the walls on those flip chart papers. And I walked in about three o'clock and I started realizing, and the, the, these two guys were still there, the, the uh, people from the company. <clears throat> and I started looking at the ideas and there, and I couldn't find any that weren't crossed off. There were just lines through them. And I, Oh my God, that's a great idea. I'm thinking, why would anybody cross that off, get rid of it? And so this is a big room, about, uh, you know, maybe 30 yards long. It was huge. And I walked to the other end, and these guys are there, and they turn around, they have big grins on their faces. They said, we got it. We got it. This is really going to do it. I can't believe it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? Because you, there were so many good ideas then. So, I, you know, oh, I'm glad you got it. You know, uh, so what are you going to go with? And they said, now, this is, uh, again, uh, in the face of some yeah, really great ideas. for this, right? Innovation they, all morning long, 170 yep. ideas, and oh You know, the room was on fire, sparks everywhere. And so they, and I said, well, wh what idea did you choose? And, and, and how did you get here? What method did you use? And they said, oh, it's easy. We just took any idea that had something wrong with it and crossed it out. Well, every idea has something, has something wrong, wrong with it. it. And That's the bigger why you the idea, the process before the you bigger, pick it. Yes. The bigger the idea, the more it has wrong with it. Every uh, colleague of mine in Singapore says, every idea is born drowning. And it's true. The bigger the idea, the more it has wrong with it initially. And so, you know, they use the hoodoo method to get all the, the negatives out of it and keep the positives and actually improve it. So what did, so what was the idea they went with? Now I'm really curious. They got these big grins on their faces and they said, okay, okay. You know, on the package, when they reach in the refrigerator case and get our cheese out of it, there, there is a rectangle on the package. There's type on top of the rectangle and the rectangle's navy blue. You know how that is? Yeah. They said, well, we're going to change that to teal. <laughs> navy blue to teal. And so those was, were obviously provers. They, you know, <laughs> stop me, stop me now know. before I shoot myself. Which, by the way, we need everybody. We need you at different times, and so that's why the mover gets to pick the idea. The prover right. gets to poke the holes in the idea, and the shaker gets to overcome the challenges that you run with. Because what happened there is there was a um, hey, it's because I get to pick the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And then they didn't throw it through the provers and then onto the shakers and having the mover facilitate it. And of course, this is only an ideation. Implementation changes a bit. But one of the biggest things is movers, 15% of the population, all right, they, number one, are the group that says yes to a new idea. And it's got to be a good idea because they really have a gut instinct of picking that. But yet they also understand how to combine if necessary ideas and then come up with a strategic plan right that can help or who do we need when do we need them all that good stuff right but the the cool part about it in ideation is now you've got your shakers and your provers which by the way alan shaker walked in the room and i guarantee you even though you you know it was um a hired position, you were rolling your eyes going, are you serious? As a shaker, yeah. you came up with all this cool stuff and that's what you picked. So yeah. what would happen is if the mover picked the idea, 
hate, even though a mover would never pick change something from blue to teal. It's just not going to happen. But if they did, okay, and that's what you did, the prover would be like, why the hell would that even change our sales? And then the shaker would be like, yeah, why the hell would that change our sales? And you'd be gone with it, right? So that's going the back. Going back to the, the false dilemma of killing the idea or running with a bad idea. Now, on face, you would think that running with a bad idea would mean, you know, that, like have some bad uh, consequences, uh, unintended consequences might kill people if you made the thing teal. No, nobody's going to say that. But it, nevertheless, it's an even worse idea in some ways because it won't move the needle. It won't do anything. Nobody will even notice. And what you're doing is you're wasting your resources and you're confirming that you're going to be a, a me too uh, and, uh, making a commodity out of your, your own product. So, uh, you know, why waste the time? Why waste the resources? And why show the market that you're gonna, not going to innovate while somebody else is uh, eating your lunch by uh, doing a big idea at the same time? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we all just need to do what you said, which was go to the meeting and then take their ideas and form a team and go into business as your competitor. That's right. They weren't too excited about that either when I suggested <laughs> that. Why don't you just let me have these and I'll start my own cheese company, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, they just thought they couldn't do anything about a situation that was at hand. And I think that's really going back to what we started with, uh, Alan, which is, you know, a lot of times to have the competitive advantage is just to realize there is something you can do about the challenge in the problem at hand. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I think often we focus on the wrong problems. Well, yeah. And that's again, is a symptom of being stuck in what we know we know and what we know we don't know when we get all the way through to what we don't know, we don't know. And we'll talk about this in part two. And then, to the end thing is what we don't know we knew or another way of saying that is i didn't know i knew that but this is great this is super cool and by the way this is where most people's core nature of work lives yeah this is the thing that is easy for us we do it without thinking and it's all we need to do is have somebody pull it out of us it's because you know we spend you know only eight to ten percent of our day working in this place and that is the sweet spot because you already know it. You don't need to do anything about it. You just need to dig into that aspect and apply it maybe to something else. And so yep. I'm super, super excited about part two of this series because that's really where the juice is. Although it's very, um, it's more common for us to think about what we know we know and what we know we don't know. Right. So I have this problem. I need to learn about it. So that's what we know. We don't know. Or I know that I've been living in that space for a very long time. Right. And that's the safe space. So part one of this series is the safe space that we most people and most businesses play in. The safe space is not safe. Yes. It's but not it is safe. a great opportunity because your competitor is also in that safe space and it's not safe for them. And one great thing is just to shove them deeper into their safe space by, and then occupy the territory of uh, what part two is going to be on.
Yes. Awesome. Well, understanding is always, you know, I watched GI Joe as a kid. Uh -huh. Knowing is half the battle, right? That's right. <laughs> so being aware of this is super important and understanding Jahari's window that our good friends, Joe and Harry created in 1955 is absolutely fantastic. Any last words, sir? Yeah, I just wanted to say one thing and uh, I, I'm gonna go back to uh, my favorite philosopher, Yogi Berra, who, uh, who played all the time in <laughs> what we don't know that we know. And uh, he turned out to be one of the great philosophers of all time. He was in eighth grade. His uh, teacher called him up after a test and said, Lawrence, it appears to me from the results of your examination, you don't seem to know much of anything. And Yogi shoots back, know anything? I don't even suspect anything. So <laughs> you got to love that guy. And he was yeah. playing in a completely different plane. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. So uh, tune awesome. back well, in for part two. Looking forward to it, Mr. Fadden, and we'll uh, see you on part two. And in the meantime, you can go ahead and check out our website at The People Catalysts, and that is plural because we need you all, but at differenttimes.com. Thank you for listening to The People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life. 